Let's make our prayer together. Father, we praise you. We praise you that through the blood of Jesus and only the blood of Jesus, we are cleansed from all our unrighteousness. We are restored in relationship with you as our Father. And Lord, we are able to come boldly before your throne and find that it's a throne of grace where we find mercy and help in our time of need. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit today. Stir us, God, that we would engage this day, this year, in powerful prayer for the revival work of your Spirit in our land. And God, we pray, we pray that would happen right here in Merritt Island, Florida. And Lord, we'd love to see it start in this room on this day. And we're okay if it starts up the road with Georgiana. We thank you for them. I pray for Corky. Lord, would you encourage him, help him to sense your presence as he preaches today. Lord, I pray that he would have an unwavering conviction that the Bible is the word of God. And no matter how far their original historic denomination drifts from the centrality of Christ and the authority of your word, I pray Georgiana would stand strong and not move and not budge, not bow their knee, Lord. So strengthen Corky, strengthen your people at Georgiana. And may we hear great reports of Holy Spirit power falling fresh on our brothers and sisters in Christ at Georgiana. Lord, you be our teacher today as we study your word. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter nine. Daniel chapter nine. This morning, we're jumping back in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Daniel. And since we've been out through our Christmas series, I, want to do, I do want to brush up just a little bit on some, some things about the book that if you're visiting with us or maybe it's been a little bit of a break and you don't remember, these might be important things for you to know. Remember, the book of Daniel begins in 605 BC when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, invaded Jerusalem and not only overthrew it, but destroyed the city. And then he took a group of Captives, the best and the brightest young people from Jerusalem. He took them captive to live back in Babylon. And here was his strategy Nebuchadnezzar wanted to influence the hearts and minds of a generation of Jews so that they would feel the pressure of adopting and aligning with the gods and the cultures of Babylon more than they felt an allegiance to Israel and even more the God of Israel. Here's what he knew. He knew that if he could raise up a generation that felt and thought more like Babylonians than they did Jewish people or people devoted to the God of Israel, that he would be able to lead them easier. You see, it's easier to rule a group of people that want to be ruled by you than it is to rule a group of people who are constantly rebelling against you, right? It's the difference between being a college professor who stands in front of a group of college students every week and a middle school teacher who stands in front of a group of seventh graders who don't 
don't want to be there. One group will pay a small fortune to you. The other group won't even pay attention to you, right? So that's the difference. And Daniel was part of that group that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to influence to become Babylonians at heart. He was about 15 years old when he was taken captive. And the first six chapters of the book of Daniel detail stories about Daniel's life in captivity. And it goes from the time he was a teenager, about 15 years old in 605 BC, all the way through till he's in his 80s. In those first six chapters, what we find is that no matter how hard and difficult his days were, no matter how many threats Daniel faced and was forced to walk through under the pressure of a godless culture, Daniel remained faithfully devoted to God. Even more, what we find is that God remained faithfully devoted to Daniel. Then in chapter seven, the book of Daniel sort of takes a turn. It no longer talks about stories of Daniel's life in captivity. The focus changes to a series of prophetic visions that God gave to Daniel while he was in captivity. Visions that were about the future of Israel, even more about the future of the world. And without going into a lot of detail, there were a lot of things about the future that Daniel didn't understand, like who the Antichrist is going to be. I know some of you have that figured out, but Daniel didn't understand those types of details. But there was one thing that became crystal clear through the prophecies that God gave Daniel about the future and the end of the world. And here was one thing that was crystal clear. Daniel began to understand that this world is going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Happy New Year. (laughs) What's your pastor talk about? Well, it's going to get worse. 2023 will be something. Listen, just think about what he saw. Here's Daniel. He's 80-something years old. His nation has fallen. It lies in ruins. He's been exiled for nearly 70 years in a foreign nation under the rule of godless corrupt leaders. And even though he knows the day is coming when God will come to this earth and set up an eternal kingdom, he knows even though I have that hope, this world will get worse before it gets better. So how do you think Daniel felt? Like, what do you think was going on in his heart? Well, you don't have to guess how Daniel felt. He actually tells us In the two chapters before our text, he ends each chapter of these prophetic visions with a description of how he felt, what was going on in his heart. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, he says this, here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. And then the next chapter, verse 27 of chapter 8, he says, and I, Daniel, was overcome And lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Notice this. In this section where he's recounting his prophecies, Daniel purposely ends each of the previous two chapters by telling us he was alarmed. He was appalled. He even had to lay down for a while because it made him sick to his stomach. Even though he had hope for his future. 
Because God told him, I'm bringing a kingdom one day, an eternal kingdom, and it'll put all these wicked kingdoms to an end. He also knew that it was only gonna get worse before it got better. He had hope, but Daniel is distressed. His nation is fallen. His homeland lies in ruins. Godless leaders dominate the world. And he knows that ultimately that world, that world that's in despair will only get darker, will only get worse before it gets better. And in all honesty, he's distressed. Can you relate? I got a feeling some of you can. And if you can't, you need to know something. We are living in a fallen nation. Godless leaders seem to dominate our world. You might not know it, but there's a clown convention taking place in Washington, D.C. It's not fun. And even though there are good and joyous things that are a part of all of our lives that God calls us to enjoy, we know something because the Bible prophetically tells us this world will get worse before it gets better. Our hope is certainly that Jesus is coming again. And guys, I'm praying that 2023 is the year that Jesus comes again. Jesus is going to return and I believe it's in our lifetimes. But until Jesus comes, things will largely only get worse before they get better. Our world is basically in free fall until Jesus comes again. Happy New Year, let's go home. So the question then becomes, though, in reality, without denying those dynamics, what do you do when you live in a fallen nation and are distressed by what you see, what you know, what you can't deny? What do you do when you're starting another year in a world that is not getting any better? Well, Daniel 9 is a great place to start because we can ask this question. What did this faithful man of God do? What can we learn from this man of God that's already taught us so much? Well, let's dig in Daniel chapter 9 as we resume our study of this book of God's word. Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 through 3 say this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Stop right there. It's plain to see what Daniel does in distress In verse two, he says that he reads the book of Jeremiah. He specifically calls it, notice, the word of the Lord. So the first thing Daniel does is he turns to God in his word. And then in verse three, Daniel says he turns his face to the Lord in prayer. In a time of distress, Daniel turned to God in his word and in prayer. And guys, that's our big idea for today. In distressing times, turn your face to God in his word and in prayer. In distressing times, turn your face to God in his word 
and prayer. What will you do in the midst of a fallen nation? How will you live in 2023? Well, I don't know all that you will face, but my prayer is this on this first month of the year where we are focusing our attention on God's word, my prayer would be that you would set a trajectory of your life that no matter what, you'll be the kind of person We'll be the kind of church that no matter what, no matter how dark and distressing our times become, we will be a people who turn our face to God's word and in prayer. And I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's ever a time when we should turn our attention away from the Lord. We don't just turn our eyes to God because it's a distressing time. But what I'm saying is that when we experience seasons of distress, there's something automatic that happens in our hearts. We always turn our attention somewhere. When we feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of our life, when we feel threatened, when we feel weak, when we feel the despair of a world around us, we instantly and automatically seek to look somewhere for help. When my children were little, we were in the backyard, we were playing, we were doing some things, and at some point in time, we all sat down on the back porch, and I began to talk with them about something. I think we were talking about one of our dogs who is a bit of a knucklehead and we all needed to chip in to help raise. It wasn't just mom's job to walk and feed and take care of Buckeye. I think I was lecturing my kids and as my children are wont to do during one of my lectures, they were sitting there with me quietly being respectful, but looking around at everything around them, right? They were sitting there looking at the backyard, looking at the flowers and the trees and the skies. They were looking at the dog I was talking about running around like a moron in our backyard. They were looking all around and suddenly my daughter Mia stopped looking around. She froze. And for a moment, in a split second, she looked straight at me and said, dad, just like that. And moving up the leg of the chair she was sitting in was a coral snake. And I know what some of you are saying. Titus, you're from Ohio. You have no idea. It's a king snake. It was a red on yellow kill a fellow coral snake. I saw it with my own two eyes. And I said, Mia, don't move. You just keep looking at me. I've got you. You keep looking at me, babe. I've got you. I was already jumping up out of my chair. I was on my way to rescue her. The reason I told her that is I didn't want her focusing on that snake and then doing something foolish out of fear. I jumped out of my chair. I grabbed her. I carried my kids inside. I went then outside on the lookout for a literal snake in the grass. And I know some of you wonder, what happens? You never tell the end of your stories. Well, I never found that snake in the grass. So we sold the house and we moved, all right? There's the story behind the story. Here's the reality, guys. We're all like my kids in a certain way. When a moment of distress comes, we instinctively turn our attention somewhere for help. Some people want the help of a distraction in their distress. So they turn their attention to their hobbies and entertainment and say, help. Some people want to attack their distress So they turn their attention to their problems and focus on everything that's wrong in their lives thinking they can help themselves. Some people want to dull the pain of their distress so they turn their attention to drugs and alcohol. Friend, our heavenly father wants us to become like children, Jesus says. His children. 
He wants us to turn our attention to him, to fix our gaze on him. He doesn't want us doing something foolish out of fear. So he says to you in moments of distress, child, just keep looking at me. I've got you. Just keep looking at me. I've got you. And how then, where do we look if we're looking to God? Well, in his word, the Bible and in prayer. And so let me just ask you this today, whether you are overwhelmed with the darkness of our world, whether you are overwhelmed with the decay of our nation, whether you are overwhelmed by the difficulties of your own life, let me ask you this, where you've been turning? Where have you been turning? Where is your gaze today? When you wake up in the morning, and I know you do, with the things in your life that immediately invade your heart with fear, the troubles of your world, your marriage, your family, your life, when the name of your prodigal comes to your mind every single morning, when the issues of your work invade your heart before your feet have hit the floor, where are you turning? Is it to God in his word and prayer? Or honestly, and ask the spirit of God to show you this, is it somewhere else? Guys, this passage is so timely because every year at the beginning of the year, we set aside one of the first two weeks to focus on prayer in the word of God. We just call it prayer week. And this just so happens to be the week of the year that we would set aside for prayer week. And what a passage of scripture. We see the powerful prayers of Daniel. And we're gonna focus our heart on the elements of his powerful prayer this week during our prayer week. There are several things that we'll provide for you. As a matter of fact, every day we're gonna be sending out short prayer guides through our social media, our website, I think through our email, email team. Apparently we're sending out three emails, so be ready for that this week. We'll be sending it out in various forms, short prayer guides that are based out of what we're getting ready to learn about the elements of powerful prayer in the life of Daniel. And I want to ask you, would you engage each day in a time of prayer, an additional season that you can be a part of your church family praying with one another in your homes, at your workspace, where you may have a space and time to pray? Would you pray so that we would begin to renew our commitment as a church to engage in powerful prayer through the word of God and seeking his face. Here's my hope, is that as we go through the first three elements this morning, God will begin to stir your heart to desire prayer this week. And next week, we'll finish this text by looking at the last three elements, the other three things we see about powerful prayer from the prayer of Daniel. And that our hearts, not only this week, would be before God in prayer, but my hope is that this would be a year that your life and mine, your family and mine, our church would be more marked by a devotion to God's word and to prayer than we have ever been before. My hope is that we will start a trajectory that's not just a week long or a year long, but a lifelong trajectory of being people who when the distress of this world comes, our instinct is like my little girls. We look to our father And we say, dad, and learn that he's always there 
to help. So let's do this. In the remaining time that we have, I want to show you the first three elements we see in verses 1 through 19. Just a little FYI, we'll get all the way through verse 4. And yeah, I know what that means. We'll be in Daniel forever. But we're going to be in the first four verses and see three elements of powerful prayer that I trust will mark our lives as we are people who seek God's face in his word and prayer. Number one, powerful prayer has a foundation. That's the first thing that we see in the life of Daniel. Powerful prayer has a foundation. Verse two, he says this, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, now notice this phrase, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Just stop right there. The foundation, Daniel says, is his foundation for prayer is the word of God. Guys, powerful prayer does not start by telling God what you think or how you feel or what you want. And that's what many of our prayers consist of. You need to know this powerful prayer is not God's response to what we say. It's our response to what God says in his word, the Bible. Daniel prayed and when he did, it was a response to what he had read in the book of Jeremiah. And you might ask this question, what did Daniel read in Jeremiah? Well, let's go over to Jeremiah 29 and I want you to see a text of scripture that Jeremiah indicates he was reading. This passage passage in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, beginning in in verse 10, though, says this, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. What place? Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. That's what Daniel says he read in Jeremiah. Those are some of the most famous verses of the Bible, and guess what? We're finally seeing them in their original context. Wonder of all wonders. Jeremiah, guys, was the prophet of God at the time, 605 B.C when Nebuchadnezzar was invading Jerusalem. And well in advance, God uses Jeremiah to tell God's people that he has a plan. And that plan will be that in 70 years, people will pray. As a matter of fact, Daniel's a teenager at the time this is written. And I've got to tell you, I sincerely hope that when Daniel graduated from high school, someone gave him a journal with Jeremiah 29, 11 written across it because that's the only time in the history of that graduation gift that those verses will be in context. But I digress. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Jeremiah says this, God's gonna bring his people back in 70 years. That's a promise Jeremiah says, not only will he bring them back, he'll bring them back when they pray. He will make sure that they find him and that he hears their voice. He he says, in verse 12, he says, you'll call on me, you'll come to me, you'll pray to me and I'll hear you. Verse 14, he says, and I will restore your fortunes. I will bring you back. He gives him all of these promises in prayer. God's gonna visit those who seek him 
in, in his face in prayer. He says, I'll hear you. I'll, fa- I'll be found by you. I'll restore you. I'll bring you back. He's revealing in his word powerful promises to Daniel, to his people. And here's the point. Here's the, the motivation for Daniel's praying. Daniel believes God's promises And he claims them in prayer. And that's the foundation for powerful prayer. Guys, you don't pray in power just because you use eloquent words or long religious sounding phrases. You don't don't get powerful prayer by using words you never use in your, your common vocabulary. Just because you refer to God as thee and thou doesn't make your prayer more powerful right? Powerful prayer is not about eloquent, religious-sounding words. Powerful prayer is the result of believing God and what he's promised, and then in prayer, grabbing hold and claiming the promises of God in prayer. Guys, that's the prayer of faith. When the New Testament says that it's the prayer of faith that is effective, it's that The prayer of faith is what happens when by faith we believe what God has said and then take hold of those promises from God in prayer. And I realize that many of us have experienced anemic prayer lives. Many of us have said, it's been hard for me to know what to pray. I get distracted. I don't know if what I'm asking is right I have this caveat where Jesus says, if you ask anything according to my will, you'll have what you ask. And I wonder, what's your will? Do you want to know how you can know whether you're asking according to the will of God? Well, the will of God is most clearly displayed in the word of God. So powerful praying begins by getting in God's word and hearing what he says and by faith grabbing hold of those promises and then going to God and claiming those promises in prayer. Are you in his word each day, hearing his voice, getting his promises so you can claim them in prayer? If not, would this be your year that you would go daily to God's word and claim his promises? If so, if you're already in the word of God, what are the promises God has made that you need to claim in prayer today? You don't just believe or memorize, but you go to God as your father, and you claim his promises. Powerful prayer has a foundation. It's built on something, and it's the word of almighty God, the Bible. Number two, powerful prayer not only has a foundation of God's word, powerful prayer is the expression of our devotion. There's some really cool stuff I want to show you here. Verse three, Daniel says this, I turned my face to the Lord God, He says, then, after I had heard or read what I saw in Jeremiah, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, look at this, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. We'll talk a little more about sackcloth and ashes next week, but he says, fasting. He says, I turned my face to God in prayer with fasting. Guys, fasting is primarily giving up food for a period of time as you're earnestly seeking God in prayer. And contrary to popular belief, Baptist churches do believe you can give up food for the right reasons, fasting being one of them. And I want to just think about what fasting is an expression of. We, we have hunger because we need food to live. You know, you got to eat 
Matter of fact, that's one of my life mottos. You gotta eat, let's do it. Food's so essential to life, you can't live without food and God created us with an appetite precisely so throughout our day, every single day, there would be this hunger that would remind us we need food to live. You get hungry because you can't live without food. And here's what fasting is. Fasting is laying aside food for a period of time so you can seek God in prayer and you can acknowledge, God, I need you more than I need food. The way my body craves my next meal, my soul craves you. For many of us, what fasting actually represents is us saying, God, I want to confess that I wish I hungered for you the way I hunger right now for food. I want to want you in a way that I don't want you yet. So God, as I'm hungry for food, help me be hungry for you. And this devotion, that fasting, that hunger for God was so strong in the life of Daniel. I want you to notice that he gives us a reference, a little clue in our text as to how devoted he was to prayer at this season of his life. Let me ask you this. When did Daniel say that he read Jeremiah. It's right back up in verse one. He says, I read Jeremiah. I started seeking God's face in prayer. Verse one, he says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede. Isn't that awesome? You don't even know what I'm talking about, I guess. We talked about this. We studied Daniel in the fall. That doesn't ring a bell. Okay, back in Daniel chapter five, verse 30, let's read what he says there. This is just a little bit before our text. In Daniel chapter five, verse 30, he says this. He says, that very night, the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede. Now, does that ring a bell? You haven't forgotten already, have you? Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Being about 62 years old, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be brought throughout the whole kingdom. You guys see this? So here we are. Daniel's going back in time in chapter 9, and he's saying there was a time where I read Jeremiah, and I heard the word of God, and it caused me to seek his face. I was devoted. I fasted because I wanted to hunger for him. I wanted wanted to visit God, and I wanted him to visit me. And when did he do that? In the first year of Darius, or Darius the king. And right here is the first year of Darius the king. This is the year that he read Jeremiah 29. This is the year in Daniel 6, when he started to seek the face of God. This This is the year that he fasted before the Lord and said, God, I need and want you more than I need and want anything else in my life. And some of you are saying still, why does that matter? Well, let me ask you this. What else happened in Daniel chapter six besides it being the first year of the reign of Darius? Well, there's a little something called the lion's den. A law went into effect that no one could pray to anyone but the king or they were going to be thrown into the lion's den. And do you remember what Daniel did? Please tell me you remember this. He prayed. You guys see this connection he's making here? It's an amazing thing. 
In our text this morning in chapter nine, Daniel is giving us insight into how he lived through the crisis of the lion's den. He had gone to Jeremiah 29 and he heard God is going to visit those who will seek his face in prayer. God is going to restore and rescue those who will devote themselves to him in prayer, who will seek him, he says, with all their heart. And Daniel wanted God so much that he would rather die then fail to seek God in prayer. And so he went into the lion's den rather than laying aside prayer. It was an expression of his devotion to the word of God and to the promise God had made for what he'll do to those who seek his face in prayer. You wanna, you wanna pray for something in, in 2023? Start here. Would you pray that God would give you a desire for him? For him, the person of God that's stronger than your desire for anything else. I wanna encourage you to incorporate fasting into your life of prayer. And it doesn't have to be food. I know some of us have dietary restrictions. We're not able to fast from food. I understand that. For instance, let me just ask you this. What if every time that you instinctively reached for your phone, and let me just, let's just be honest because we're in church and it'd be a good thing to not lie in church. How many times a day do you just instinctively reach for that thing? When you're idle, don't have anything else going on. I know some of you have landlines. What was it like living with the dinosaurs? No, I'm kidding. But the rest of us are living with these smartphones that have made us all stupid. And we don't even know how to think on our own without reaching instinctively for that device. What would it look like if every time you had thoughtlessly reached for your phone to check on the news or your email or social media, you laid the phone down and you said, God, Help me want you like I want that. Help me reach for you like I reach for that. What if you gave up watching just one episode a week of your favorite television show? And I know some of y'all are binge watching a bunch. What if you gave up one episode a week and laid it aside and said, God, the way that I wanna watch this show and the way that I wanna see what happens next, I want to see you more. I want to be with you, and at least I want to want to be with you. What would it look like this year if you started fasting as an expression of your desire, or at least a desire you desire to have, which is a hunger for God? Powerful prayer has a foundation, which is the word of God, and powerful prayer is the expression of our devotion. One more thing, and then we'll move into the Lord's Supper. Powerful prayer includes our adoration. Look at verse four. Get to the actual prayer that Daniel prays. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You see this? The first thing Daniel prays is actually a prayer of praise for who God is. So you're a great and awesome God. And notice who he says God is. The very first word for God there in verse four is the word Lord. Notice that word Lord is in all capital letters. The translators do that because they're letting us know that that particular use of the word Lord translates the name of God, Yahweh. And Daniel's making it clear, guys, that powerful prayer isn't just prayer to any old God. It's a prayer to the one true God. So he says, praise you, God, because only you 
our God. And let me just say this. There's a phrase that a lot of us learned growing up in church that I would encourage us to at least revise a little bit. And that phrase is this. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. And I understand what most people mean when they say that. But I want to warn us about the danger of that. And we've actually seen a little bit of the cultural danger this week. Guys, there are a lot of people who believe in the power of prayer. This week, there was an accident in the NFL. And it was a a very devastating thing that occurred to a young man on a football field. And I noticed that there became a trend to pray for DeMar Hamlin. And I did. I prayed for God to work in his life and his family. And if he doesn't know Jesus, that this would bring him closer to Christ. But I noticed that even NFL teams were starting to change their logos and their social media accounts to say, pray for DeMar, which I'm grateful that there was a renewal or resurgence of prayer. But as I heard people talking about them praying, they would say things that revealed who they were praying to, like I'm sending out good thoughts to him and his family, which is praying to no one in particular or praying to yourself or praying to their particular version of God, or asking the universe to work in this man's life. And here's the reality that Daniel's reminding us of. The power of prayer isn't because we pray. The power of prayer is due to the one to whom we're praying. We don't pray because we believe in the power of prayer. We pray because we believe in the power of the one true God who is God alone and hears our prayers. You can pray to Buddha or Muhammad or your dead grandparents as much as you want and it will not avail you any more than you praying to me, an ordinary dude in Merritt Island because there is only one God. And prayer is not powerful because we do it. Prayer is powerful because the one true God hears it. And here's what that means. If you are going to have a powerful prayer life, you have to be in relationship with the one true God. Who is hearing your prayers? And can they do what you're asking them to do? That means you need a relationship with God. And the reality is this, there's only one way to have a relationship with God. That's actually one of the things that he says next. Notice what else he says in verse four. He says, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He says that the Lord, and he uses a different word, Lord, there. That word Lord is the word Adonai. It means that God is powerful And God in his power, the the one who's able to do what you're not able to do, that God in his power has done something. He's made a covenant, a covenant. What's a covenant? A covenant is a relationship that is built on unchanging promises. He says God is powerful and God is faithful and that's what can make us able to come to him because in his power, The power that created this universe, the power that can do anything he wants with the things in your life that you're powerless to change, that God in that great power has done something. He's made a covenant, a covenant that he says is filled with steadfast love. And you might notice a phrase there because Daniel uses this phrase. He says, for those who have kept his commandments. 
And you might be like, man, I was feeling really good until then, but I feel terrible because I know this. I haven't kept the commandments of God. Well, listen, there's good news for you because God has loved us so much that he actually made a new covenant after Daniel died. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah, the passage, the portion that that Daniel had been reading talks about what God was gonna do. It may have been fresh in Daniel's mind that he was gonna make this covenant. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Daniel reads this in Jeremiah and then he mentions God of covenant and steadfast love in his prayer. But listen to the covenant God describes here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, you see that? They broke his covenant because they could not obey his laws. And that's where all of us stand a broken covenant because we've disobeyed God, which has severed our relationship. So we can't approach God on our own because we've broken covenant with God by disobeying his laws. So we can't even pray, let alone pray powerfully because of a broken relationship with God. But he says this, there's a new covenant coming. The covenant, this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the Lord, here it is. I'll put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts that I will be their God and they will be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for what? For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Do you see what he's describing? He's describing a covenant that's better than the covenant Daniel was living in. And this new covenant that gives us a relationship with God is based not on our obedience, but on Christ's. You see, when Jesus sat at the table before his death and he instituted the Lord's Supper, he held up the cup and he said, this is that new covenant in my blood. That through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have a restored relationship with God, a relationship that's based not on our obedience, but on Christ's, that opens up a whole new relationship with God, with him as our father. And so we come to God in prayer, not because we deserve to be heard based on our works, but because we are renewed in our relationship through Christ. We are welcome in the presence of God because Jesus made a covenant with God on our behalf. And when God hears us pray, he hears the prayers of his own children. Talk about powerful prayer. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because we're in a covenant that's based on Christ's righteousness, not our own. And you know what that means? That means that no matter what's going on in our world, no matter how much distress there is over the state of decay in our nation, we always have reason to praise. Why? Because we have a father who is God, who receives us in his presence through the work of Jesus Christ. And we are welcome, not because we are good, but because Jesus is and has made us righteous. 
And that's a perfect point to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so what I wanna do is I want us to bow our heads and let's move into a time of powerful prayer to prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ. And I wanna begin by asking if you have experienced the power of Christ's covenant love, his forgiveness, the restoration of your relationship with God. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, right now, would you call on God by claiming the promise of his word? He says, all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, believing that he had died for their sin and rose again, will be saved by his grace. Call on Jesus right now. For those of you that are trusting in Christ, would you give thanks that you have access to God as your father because Jesus has made a new covenant through his blood? Would you pray that God would stir up a devotion and hunger for God this year? that by his grace, you would have a year filled with prayer, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you want him above all else. Pray for God to stir that appetite up. And because we're in the presence of God, there may be a promise from God's word that the Spirit is stirring you to claim right now over one of the points of distress in your life. What's something in your life that's too big for you, too strong for you, too hard for you? Would you bring it to your Father? Thank Him that He is Adonai, the God of strength and power. And ask Him to work in His power in that place in you today. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we can come to you in prayer. And Lord, we confess that far too often we've lived prayerless lives. And we ask that you would stir us, stir us to seek your face in prayer and in your word this year. And help us, Lord, that we would meet you there in a way that would transform our lives. And God, we praise you for Jesus, for the new covenant of steadfast love that he made at the cross that enables us to come into your presence, to know you and be known by you, to know that you hear our prayers and respond to your children and only give good things to those who call on you. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Be glorified in our celebration of this supper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you take the elements for the Lord's Supper there in your hands and peel back that first layer? And remember that Jesus came, this bread reminds us of that. He came as one of us so that he could live in his body the life we failed to live, a life of perfect obedience. And he could die in his body the death we all deserve to die as a payment, a punishment for our sin. And through the life and death of Jesus, 
we are able to be restored to almighty God. He was broken for us in his body. Would you take the bread with me? And then peel back that next layer and be reminded of this juice that Jesus said is a representation of his blood and that his blood brings a new covenant. That means that you have a new agreement with God. An agreement that means that God will relate to you not on the basis of your faithfulness or your obedience or your goodness, but that God will relate to you on the basis of Christ's goodness and faithfulness and obedience. Is that good news for you? That's why it's called the gospel. So we give thanks for the blood of Christ and the new covenant that gives us access to our great father in prayer. Would you take the juice with me? Bow your heads with a prayer of thanksgiving. Father, as we have taken the bread and juice into our bodies and are reminded that you gave us food to sustain us and you gave us an appetite to hunger for it, Lord, that we want the reality that these represent. We want Christ living in us by his power. We want a hunger for Jesus, God. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a day, this would be a year for every man, woman, and child in this place, those joining us online, that would be a different day, a different year for us. God, I pray that we would be people who do more than just acknowledge that we should seek your face in your word and prayer. Help us be the kind of people today who do seek your face in your word and prayer. And may we have an explosion of the Holy Spirit's power this year as we do. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.